Good morning to all you who doused your face with cold water this morning. Did you wake up wondering when we're going to go to water court? Getting to water court in this podcast is as slow as getting to water court in real life. You're going to love seeing me get in really hot water for my comments on water court, but it has to wait a little longer. This is Tommy Ray. Welcome to episode four of Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. Keep listening. Last time we talked about government seemingly inserting itself into private transactions between willing sellers and willing buyers. There are others such as environmental groups and businesses that might be hurt if buy and drive becomes commonplace and the number of farms decreases. The government is simply bending to what it perceives as the will of the people. And thus the roundtables have been meeting and discussing how to share water. I have attended several of the roundtable meetings. Yep, there are some good ideas that through cooperation can help stretch the water used by cities and industry. It sounds good and allows good intentioned people, that includes politicians, environmentalists, activists, to feel they are halting the demise of the family farm. But for how long? And at what cost? My gut tells me that within five years, growing cities will feel such pressure for water that they will again turn to buy and dry. Should the state spend more effort figuring out how to make the dry ground more usable? Instead of providing grants to CSU to study what type of crops to grow and how to improve irrigation, why not start issuing grants to study ways to improve dry ground after the water is removed from it? Remember, it was all dry when the Indians were here. The rivers ran full. Another tidbit of information in favor of buy and dry. Colorado State University did a study of the benefits of moving water into the cities. For every job lost in the agricultural industry because water was moved to the city, 67 jobs were gained in the city. For now, let's finish the discussion on buy and dry. We're going to talk about the last city to pursue a large buy and dry project, Thornton. In the 1980s, the water quality from Thornton's shallow wells along the Platte River was continually deteriorating. Thornton is a suburb on the northern edge of Denver. Remember, the Platte flows from the south through Denver and on north. Thornton and its water wells are downstream of Denver and downstream of the Denver Metropolitan Wastewater Treatment Plant. We'll discuss this later. The shallow wells along the Platte were Thornton's source of drinking water. Plus, Thornton was slash is a growing community. In 1990, the population of Thornton was about 55,000. Today, it is about 150,000 and expects to grow to about 250,000. And every one of those new people 
will want their faucets to run with clean water every day. Clearly, Thornton needed additional water to satisfy this kind of growth. And the cleaner the water, the better. With good, clean water, Thornton could mix its existing water supplies with cleaner supplies and more easily meet clean drinking water standards. The Thornton water staff came up with a bold plan. Let's go much further north and buy relatively clean water from one of irrigation ditches that divert water out of the Poudre River. By the way, the official name of the Poudre River is the Cashlapoudre River. The Cashlapoudre was named by French fur trappers. It means powder cachet. Somewhere along the river must have been a place where the French fur traders stored their gunpowder for future use. The cleaner the raw water source as input to a city's potable water treatment plants, the easier and cheaper to provide good, clean drinking water to houses. This is a good place to talk a little about water quality. There are two ways to measure water quality. Total suspended solids, TSS, and total dissolved solids, TDS. Total suspended solids are easy to treat. Suspended solids are small particles that drift or float in the water from sediment, silt, and sand to plankton and algae. They are easily removed. Most potable water systems have sedimentation ponds followed by sand filters. Sediment ponds are large ponds that slow the flow of water so that the sediments can settle to the bottom. A sand filter usually is in line after the sediment ponds to remove even smaller particles. The more TSS in the water, the less clear the water. TDS, total dissolved solids, is a totally different animal. Think of dissolving sugar in your coffee or putting salt in a glass of water. Once dissolved, that stuff ain't coming out. Dissolved solids can be removed, but it becomes a very expensive process. You've probably heard the term reverse osmosis. Forget it. It is expensive and creates a truly salty byproduct called brine that must be disposed of. Usually the brine is concentrated into about 10% of the water and sent to a 10,000 foot deep disposal well. That means the process loses 10% of the original water. If at all possible, cities try to stay away from reverse osmosis. So how much TDS is tolerated? Cities prefer a water source that is in the range of 300 to 400 parts per million ppm salt. For comparison, seawater is about 30,000 ppm TDS. That's about 3% by weight salt. Salts are any chemicals that dissolve in water from contact with the water. This includes things like minerals and rocks that streams run over, pesticides, salt used as de-icers on roadways, 
fertilizers, etc. All streams have some background level of salt or TDS. Thornton water quality was deteriorating because it is downstream of Denver. And Thornton knew it was going to need more raw water supplies. I'm sure Thornton studied the water quality of practically every tributary all the way to the Wyoming border. The best water quality was within the confines of the Pooter as it came out of the mountains. The Pooter Valley floor and walls are granite rocks with little leaching of salt out of them. The TDS of, of the Pooter above Fort Collins is about 50 parts per million. That's truly mountain pure water. Four main agricultural ditch companies divert water out of the Pooter. The North Pooter Irrigation Company, the Water Supply and Storage Company, the Larimer Well Ditch Company, and the Cash Pooter Irrigation Company. The first three all divert water out of the Pooter just as it comes out of the mountains upstream of Fort Collins about five miles. The head gates, the diversion points, of these three are within roughly one mile of each other. The water quality at each diversion point of these three is similar, about 50 parts per million. The Cash Pooter diverts water below Fort Collins wastewater treatment plant and thus has both street salts and sewage return flows in it. Thornton decided to buy water shares out of the water supply and storage company. A water share in a ditch gives the owner a proportionate amount of the water that the entire ditch diverts. For example, if a ditch had a total of 100 shares and diverted 1,000 CFS, each share would be entitled to 10 CFS. Conceptually, it sounds simple, but when a request for a change of use is made through water court, in this case, Thornton wanted to move the water from ag to municipal use and take the water to Thornton. The court must decide how much water the applicant must leave in the ditch or stream to protect downstream users. So those using water on downstream will get all the water they ever got. Consumptive use is water that leaves the ditch or stream system. Many factors come into play, such as types of crop raised, location on the ditch, efficiency of irrigation, and others which we will discuss later. It gets complicated. That's the arena of water engineers and water attorneys. Fun stuff to learn. Thornton had passed a $90 million bond issue for water projects in about 1986 or 87. No one knew that they were planning to buy water shares, that is water rights in a ditch, from farmers under the Larimer County Canal. This is the main ditch owned by Water Supply and Storage Company. There was good reason for secrecy. If word had spread that Thornton was buying ditch shares, guess what would have happened to the price of those shares? Thornton employed water brokers to buy water in the name of the water broker 
with an assignment clause that later allowed the broker or brokers to assign the purchase agreement to Thornton. After a while, Thornton had successfully purchased 21,000 acres of irrigated farms. With the farms came water shares in Larimer County Canal Ditch, owned by Water Supply and Storage Company. Thornton started buying farms in about 1987 and stopped acquisitions about 1989. Of course, it came to the attention of Water Supply and Storage that someone was out there buying up farms under their ditch and rumors were flying. In order to quell rumors, Thornton finally came out of the closet. At that point, Thornton was in control of 48% of the shares in the company. I'm sure it was a political decision by Thornton to stop buying shares before they had complete control of the ditch. I never understood that decision. Maybe someone at Thornton will explain it to me. Thornton spent roughly 60 million of the 90 million to obtain this acreage 30 years ago. It was a steal at that price. That means Thornton was able to purchase irrigated farm ground for roughly $3,000 per acre. And this was high quality water with senior water rights. That was a courageous move by Thornton and will pay off handsomely. Thornton has been to water court and obtained permission to move roughly 20,000 acre feet of water out of the ditch. Of Thornton's bond issue, as I stated earlier, approximately $60 million was spent buying the farms. This equate to Thornton having paid about $3,000 per acre foot for water that is now selling for $50,000 an acre foot and more. Thornton's water court decree requires that the transferred water has to pass through the existing Larimer County Canal headgate where the water quality is highest, and then could be moved by pipe down to Thornton. That's roughly 70 miles of 48-inch pipe to move the water to Thornton. Thornton could now breathe easier about having secured water for several generations. Not so fast. Thornton's original plan was to begin construction of the pipeline in 2001 and have it delivering water by 2004. Larimer County has not yet given Thornton permission to build the pipeline. Wait a minute, this is private property. If a manufacturing company decides to move its equipment, private property, into Adams or Denver County, can the Larimer County Commissioner stop that move? Can Larimer County stop such a project needed by another local government? Larimer County has used the 1041 process to deny permits needed for the pipeline to cross Larimer County and move Thornton's bought and paid for water to Thornton. 1041 is short for House Bill 74-1041, which gives powers to local governments to quote, identify, designate, and regulate areas and activities of state interest through a local government 
permitting process. I'm confused about how Larimer County can decide that the Thornton Water Project is contrary to state interest. 1041 powers have been used by Eagle County to slow other water project. Was this the intent of 1041? 1041, of course, refers to the number of the bill of the legislation, House Bill 74-1041. These 1041 powers allow local governments to stifle or potentially stop a legal transfer of a piece of private property from one county to another. Is this something we should be allowing? Can Larimer County stop Budweiser from moving its operation a few miles east into Well County? You would probably say no. But of course, Budweiser would need to transfer its water rights along with its plant. I think this is an overreach that should be reined in by the state legislator. What is the state's interest in Larimer County stopping this project? Thornton needs additional water and acquired water fairly and squarely. Now they are having problems permitting their 70-mile, 48-inch pipeline. It just doesn't seem right. This is one of those things that will be determined by the Colorado Supreme Court. My money bet is on Thornton. Thornton now hopes to be delivering water by 2025. I hope to interview officials with Thornton later in this podcast series to fully understand all the problems involved. So much to talk about regarding intrastate fighting and biting over water. So buy and dry is a big deal to the ag industry. Okay, let's talk about the ag industry. How important is it to Colorado? The crops grown here are a small fly on an elephant's butt. Why are we growing water-intensive crops in the desert? And we are in a semi-arid region of the country. It takes a good 30 inches of rainfall to grow a crop. Well County gets maybe 11 to 12 inches of rainfall a year. The rest of the water comes from the diversions in our rivers. It's going to be a lot cheaper to import the corn from the Midwest than to import water from the Mississippi River. I have been to meetings where building huge pipelines from the Mississippi to Colorado has been discussed. Wow, who's going to pay for that? Money, really big money. The pumping costs alone would play havoc with all businesses in Colorado. And that would probably cause big interstate squabbles. How much water does ag industry in Colorado actually use? Well, according to the Colorado Department of Agriculture, there are about 2.5 million acres irrigated in Colorado. So ag accounts for roughly 2.5 million acre feet of water consumed annually. You'll remember that we discussed that a good round number of consumptive use was one acre foot of consumptive use water per acre of irrigated ground. What about consumptive use in the cities? 
At the beginning of each episode, we ask if you were a water consumer or a water user. Let's talk about that. When you take a shower, you are using the water but not consuming it. Same with flushing the toilet. Wastewater from your home flows into the sewer pipes and joins with your neighbor's wastewater and eventually reaches the Metropolitan Wastewater Treatment Plant. It is then treated and returned to the river. Maybe some evaporation along the way, but generally 95% of in-home water use returns to the river. That water is not consumed. The biggest consumptive use for individual homes is irrigating the lawn. This is similar to farm water consumption. Combining both in-home usage and watering the grass, cities consume about 50% of the water they take into their potable water treatment plants. The entire metropolitan Denver area uses about 500,000 acre feet. Since half that returns to the river, the Denver area consumes about 250,000 acre feet of water or about 10% of the water used in ag. This is consistent with earlier statements that ag uses 85% of water in the state. Now, I know I will take a lot of heat from farm groups for these observations. My purpose in this podcast series is to give an overall picture of water. The goal is to get within plus or minus 20% of the absolute truth. Even with a hell of a lot of research, I'm not sure we could reach agreement on absolute truth. Next time, we'll discuss recycling sewage effluent into our drinking water systems, the yuck factor. Some will argue that my observations about recycling sewage effluent are just not right. I'll just put them out there and let you decide. That'll be a next episode. Stay tuned. The water will be getting hotter. At least I know I'll be getting into hot water. As always, give me feedback at tommy at nowater.com. You know, all these issues are wrapped together in water. History, consumptive use, personal property, money, etc. And we haven't touched lawyers. They're fun. We're going to move to them later. Thanks for listening. And as always, let's close with something soothing. The sound of a small mountain stream. Thanks for listening.